0: What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Better presentations are possible. You just need Canva presentations. With it, you can easily and quickly make stunning slides. All you have to do is start with one of Canva's professionally designed templates or generate slides with AI, then add graphs, charts, and more from the massive media library, and you're done. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Well, you knew this one was coming. Today's episode is about whatever the hell just happened, slash is still happening, at OpenAI, where CEO Sam Altman has been fired, then almost rehired, then shipped off to Microsoft, while the most famous startup in artificial intelligence self-immolates for reasons that nobody can explain. The story, by the way, seems to change every 90 minutes or so, so I'm gonna start us off with the acknowledgement that I am recording this open at 4.22 p.m. ET on Monday. So first, a quick recap of the last 90 to 100 hours. On Friday afternoon, OpenAI fired its chief executive, Sam Altman, accusing him of, quote, not being consistently candid with the board of directors. Altman was fired without warning over Google Meet with four of the six members of his nonprofit board of directors voting to oust him. Much, much more on that board of directors and corporate structure in a second. On Sunday, this weekend, at the urging of Microsoft, an investor, OpenAI invites Sam Altman back to the office to discuss the prospect of rehiring him as CEO, only to say a few hours later, nope, never mind, we don't want you back, and instead the interim Chief executive of the company will now be an outsider, Emmett Scheer, the former CEO of Twitch, a live video streaming service. Early Monday morning, Microsoft chief executive Satya Nadella announced that he would hire Altman along with other OpenAI workers to start a new AI research division within Microsoft. Later on Monday morning, hundreds of employees at OpenAI signed a letter demanding that Altman return to their company as CEO and demanding the resignations of all the board members who fired Altman. The Verge reports that the vast majority of the company has now signed this letter. So it is a handful of non-employee board directors versus the majority of the company. Meanwhile, the big winner, Microsoft. In tech, there's this idea called an aqua hire where you buy a company for its best employees rather than its products. Microsoft might be on the verge of the most successful aqua hire in corporate history uh, if the entire employee register of OpenAI switches its W-2s to Microsoft Inc. without Microsoft having to pay anything to actually acquire a company that is currently valued at $86 billion. Uh, I I would say that qualifies as a big win. Big loser number one, anyone who thought it was a good idea to build open ai outside the shadow of big tech and there were lots of reasonable people who thought it was a good idea to build a artificial intelligence research lab outside the shadow of the largest tech companies that would rush to commercialize it well now open ai is poised to be swallowed whole by microsoft the second largest company in america uh, i'd say that group is not feeling so good about itself right now. Big loser number two, whoever the hell thought it was a good idea to create a corporate structure that allows three non-employee board directors to implode an 800-person company? Again, in the next few minutes, uh, next hour of this podcast, the corporate structure question will be uh, revisited very often. So why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why was Sam Altman fired? The amazing thing is that the board still has not elaborated. The COO of the company says it had nothing to do with, quote, malfeasance. The new CEO of the company says it has nothing to do with, quote, AI safety. The company has been crystal clear about the 10, 11, 12 reasons why they didn't fire Sam Altman, but they haven't said one specific thing about why they did fire him outside of the remarkably vague (laughs) phrase not being consistently candid. Today, we take you inside OpenAI to tell you what's going on there right now, but also to give you the full eight-year history of this organization, how it was founded, and how its very founding played a starring role in this weekend's mess. Today, we have an all-star panel. Charlie Warzel is a staff writer at The Atlantic who has been texting with and talking with OpenAI employees for the last few days. Karen Howe is a new contributing writer at The Atlantic. Uh, She was also speaking with OpenAI employees for the last few days and is writing a book about OpenAI. She knows many of the main characters of this weekend's fracas very well. And Ross Anderson is another staff writer of The Atlantic who wrote a big magazine feature on Sam Altman, OpenAI, and the messy quest to build artificial general intelligence. In fact, Ross followed Sam Altman and some of the main characters from this weekend's mess around the world as they talked about the promise of ChatGPT to various countries in Asia. We will see about the promise of ChatGPT in a world that may not include an open AI. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Karen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Charlie, welcome back. Uh, Always good to be here. (laughs) And Ross, welcome back. I couldn't wait
2: to be on today, Derek.
0: Yeah, thank you all for helping me sort through whatever the hell is going on at OpenAI. Thank you for taking a break in your reporting schedules. I'm sure you're being slammed with an absolute cavalcade of incoming texts and emails and uh, pieces of rumor that you have to piece through. So thanks for spending a little bit of time with me to piece it out. I think the best way to tell this story is to tell it completely, and that is to say, to tell it chronologically. I want to start with a brief history of OpenAI. Because I strongly believe that what's happened in the last 100 hours actually has everything to do with the way this company was set up in 2015, and then how it's, uh, this evolution has sort of come into conflict with the principles of its founding. So, Ross, let's start with you. A lot of people know OpenAI today as the maker of ChatGPT and as one of the most valuable startups in the world. But it was founded in 2015 as a nonprofit. Why?
2: Yeah, so you know, the story of its founding is really interesting. And uh as I understand it, it was sort of smeared across a couple weeks or even months. But there's come to th- be this sort of mythology around it that most of the action was at this famous dinner at the Rosewood, uh the Sandhill Rosewood in Silicon Valley. And um the idea was that Sam Altman, uh star of this weekend's news cycle, uh, and Elon Musk convened this dinner uh with some tech luminaries uh, and AI luminaries, including Ilya Sutskaver, uh, who we'll hear more about later, in that they all sort of agreed that artificial intelligence had kind of progressed to a point where several inflection points were likely and that very soon, you know, uh, artificial general intelligence might be imminent. And that if this was going to be done, it would be a bad thing if it were one of the tech giants that did it because they'd be greedy monsters and something so important and so transformative and so potentially threatening you wouldn't want in their hands and so they decided to start the company as a nonprofit so that they could create artificially artificial general intelligence for the benefit of all humanity.
0: And can you briefly in like 15 seconds or less describe what you think they think they meant when they said artificial general intelligence?
2: Yeah, I, you know Talking to Altman about it, um, his sort of go-to definition, it seems to me, seems to change by the month. But one of the more durable recent ones that I've heard is that you could imagine... First of all, instead of a, a narrowly skilled artificial intelligence that can just play Chess. This is a general intelligence, an intelligence that can do lots of things. And you might think of an uh, AGI, if we want to introduce the acronym, as like a really smart college student um, that can kind of do any number of intellectual tasks that people might do.
0: Karen. After a few years, this nonprofit comes to a few realizations, and one of those realizations is that donations alone under this nonprofit model won't suffice. The cost of computational power is too high. The cost of talent paying all of these brilliant engineers to build God is too high. They decide that to realize their mission, they have to create a for-profit subgroup within OpenAI that can raise capital and build what they have to build. but yet, that for-profit subgroup is still going to be nested underneath the nonprofit OpenAI board. Do I have that right? Maybe talk a little bit more about what this invention of the sort of for-profit subsidiary really meant for OpenAI.
1: Yeah, that 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 is exactly right. I, I just to take a step back before diving back into OpenAI. I I do think it's also important to conceptualize OpenAI within the history of AI research, and um, understand that like the bet that OpenAI made in AI development was one very particular bet uh, across like a landscape of different options that they could have taken. And the reason why they realized that they needed a lot of money and they needed a lot of computational power to build this thing is specifically because of the research philosophy that Ilya um, Sutskever had, which is that he was 100% betted in on what's called deep learning, these systems that use data to learn um, and uh, uh, get behaviors, um, and was 100% in on scaling this thing. So if... You specifically believe that you're going to get AGI through scaling these systems. That's when you need a lot of money. And when they made the decision within OpenAI and they started mapping out the costs at the time, they realized that um, the nonprofit just wasn't going to cut it. And at the time... Uh, When I was interviewing um, Brockman and and Setzkever about this in 2019, shortly after the Microsoft billion-dollar investment, they had mentioned that they had actually tried to... Maintain it as a nonprofit. Um, they had gone, to, they had shopped around and tried to get more investment. Um, this was also the moment in time when Musk had disagreements about the direction of OpenAI and left, and uh, reportedly took his money—the co- money that he had committed away from them. So it wasn't just that they needed to fundraise more money; it was that they just needed to like fundraise money <laughs> because they they potentially didn't have that much anymore. Um, So that's why they were sort of coming up with these ideas. And there had been an idea floated on early within the company about having sort of a for-profit arm that would allow them to raise venture funding. Um, That idea then was raised again. It seemed to be the only model that was working, um, given that the one billionaire pulled out, other billionaires weren't pitching in, um, and so then that they created the the for-profit entity, but on the condition that it was supposed to be governed by the nonprofit because I think the co-founders of OpenAI still believed in this idea that um, they didn't want to just become any other tech company um, ba- based on their own metrics of whatever that means. Karen,
0: can you help me understand even briefly, the little fights that have emerged in the history of open AI. Because you just mentioned that this is a company, this is a nonprofit that was founded with Elon Musk at the head of the table, but he's one of the first and loudest people to leave. And then later you have some of the biggest people in OpenAI leave to start this competitor called Anthropic. The history of OpenAI has been a history of conflicts within OpenAI, even before this past weekend. Can you just summarize the most significant conflicts of the last few years and what they were about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There were two main conflicts. um, and, And all of them are about, and it's the same with this weekend, all of them are about Power, like the, every every single person um, that's sort of been at the helm of OpenAI or invested in OpenAI or controlled whatever, has been trying to seek to perpetuate their specific ideology around um, how AI development should be uh, should progress. And some of them do it under the under the banner of capitalism. Some of them are doing it under um, the guise of morality or you know humanity. But ultimately, they're all trying to centralize their. Control over this technology, so the first real conflict was when Musk became very upset with direction of OpenAI AI, AI. Um, and uh, you know there's there's been sort of a lot of reporting around why exactly he was upset. Um, some of it seemed to be that he was uh, not happy with the pace at which. OpenAI was getting breakthroughs, and um, OpenAI was sort of being overshadowed by DeepMind at the time, and Musk had specifically invested in OpenAI because he wanted to upstage DeepMind. Um, So then he—
0: Which is owned by Google and Alphabet, just— Yes,
1: which is owned by Google and Alphabet and had been the first lab to uh, sort of um, start going after this AGI um, uh, goal— um, so then, so then Musk leaves, um, and then in the late 2020, um, there was then a. a- pretty substantial faction of the company that also left um, with Dario Amode as sort of like the main person that led this contingent. Um, and they went and founded Anthropic, which is now one of the rivals of OpenAI. And um, it was also kind of this split between like te- te- techno optimists and doomers. Dario is much more on the doomer side of the spectrum, felt very uncomfortable with the way Reportedly, that um Altman and Brockman were sort of driving ahead with trying to commercialize a technology that he felt was not ready. Um, so he decided to create his own company and and of course, sorry of some some people who No, Dario, that I've spoken to in the past, have said that it it is both—it's still about power and control. Like, on one hand, yes, he had this ideological disagreement, but on the other hand, he also specifically just—he wanted to be the CEO of a company that was driving forward AI development. Um, So that leads us, I mean, very neatly into this weekend, which is sort of the same thing about, like, who gets to control this technology, who gets to call the shots, um, and which ideology ultimately is imprinted on this technology that's going to affect everyone.
0: So it's already a messy history leading up to last November. So just summing up, OpenAI is set up as a nonprofit. Their strategy for building artificial general intelligence requires so much treasure and talent that they decide to create a for-profit subsidiary that they can use to issue equity and raise a bunch of capital. There's all sorts of ideological disagreements between uh, Altman and Musk and Altman and Dario. People leave the company, come into the company. Microsoft is... Becomes a major investor starting in 2019, uh, where they invest initial one billion dollars in OpenAI. Charlie, I think this leads us to the invention of ChatGPT in November of 2022. You and Karen did some reporting over the weekend and discovered that the invention of ChatGPT uh, really changed things inside the company. How did it change things in ways most relevant to the chaos of the last 100 hours?
3: Yeah. So. Um it's it's really interesting. Uh, I think few companies have create a product that is so successful that it that it leads to you know large uh, internal struggles. I mean, maybe you could say that about Facebook or some others, but but it really is it really is fascinating how this played out. So essentially, um, what what people need to know about ChatGPT is that it was not expected to be as much of a success um the sort of phrase that that they had internally for it when they were talking about it was that it was going to be this quote unquote low key research preview right it was going to be this this proof of concept this um this this you know application essentially um of their really powerful Technology, um, and and this was around the same time that GPT four had been trained and and was being developed, and uh, and and the idea around you know the company was that GPT four was going to be the star of the show, the the thing that when it rolls out is going to sort of change the landscape, right? And then ChatGPT, which was you know, um, which was initially trained off of a a a, a different model, GPT three point five, so to speak. That it was it was going to be, you know, a thing that, uh, you know, one of my sources said uh, it would sort of ping pong around AI Twitter for a weekend and then fizzle out. Right. Uh, And so there was actually uh, we reported like, you know, a betting pool in the company uh, as to whether or not this, you know, this technology was going to, you know, how many people were going to use it in the first week? And the highest guess was 100,000 users. So obviously they had no idea that it was going to be this runaway success. Um, obviously within the first five days, a million people used it. And you know it sent the company into essentially turmoil right and some of that is just logistical turmoil the capability of do we have you know enough servers enough computing power uh to handle the traffic you know the the glut of this and then um you know as we reported there's there's the the issue of you know moderation concerns how people are going to use it whether or not you know there's enough staff whether or not the um you know they had thought through all the different externalities of of what a conversational model could do, and and there was a rush in getting ChatGPT out into the public because, as we talked about, there are these rivalries in uh, in OpenAI and rivalries with you know companies like Anthropic, and Anthropic was on the verge of coming out with their own conversational. Uh, chat model. So this was all deployed very quickly. This was, you know, an, an, it's not fair to say a rush job, but everything happened fast, and nobody expected this. So the commercial success of a of a tool like this, the way that it leads directly to, you know, what we see this weekend, is it's 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 commercial. It's popular. It's something that helps, you know, Sam go out and demonstrate the power. I mean, in a way. You know, you had some of these these image generation tools like Dolly and um, and Midjourney that sort of demonstrated the power of generative AI. But ChatGPT, you know, switched that paradigm on its head and and sort of, I think, brought OpenAI to the fore as you know a sort of a a generational company. It it made those conversations about something like AGI a lot more relevant. Obviously, everyone in the media talks about it, etc. So. The way that that sets this up is is essentially there is a great um, case inside the company to raise more money, to get, you know, companies like Microsoft on board, to continue to move forward with commercial products, to, you know, turn ChatGPT into an enterprise tool, uh, to open it up to developers, things like that. And by doing that, it strays more from this, you know, nonprofit-style mission, right, of we are a, you know, a research-based almost think tank for the betterment of humanity. Now we're saying, actually, we're a Silicon Valley tech company, and we need to grow, we need to hire people, et cetera. So, you know, that really sets up this this internal division between, you know, the people who are absolutely terrified of something like, you know, building out a godlike technology or a technology that, you know, could be used to engineer bioweapons or you know you name the apocalyptic scenario versus the people that are saying, you know what, we have to raise money. We have to build this thing out. And by doing so, we're going to, you know, make it possible that we can safely develop or or maybe even not safely develop a, you know, um, further models and and work our way
0: towards an AGI. Ross, before we finally analyze the events the last two days, I think we have to talk about Sam Altman, and who this guy is. And what Charlie just said reminds me of what I find most interesting about his relationship with his own company, his own creation, which is that OpenAI is established as a kind of think tank, as a kind of think tank on steroids. And you look at Sam Altman, and this is a guy who has a nose for commercialization. He used to run Y Combinator. He is an expert at turning ideas that you might come up with in a think tank into products that are worth billions and billions of dollars. So you spent all this time with him on your international tours uh, for an Atlantic Magazine feature. Tell me about what it's most important for us to know about Sam Altman, who he is, and what his ambition looks like.
2: Yeah, well you said it well when you look at his pedigree, you know. Uh someone who runs uh Y Combinator, you know, it's it's interesting. This has been we've had lots of these great coinages, uh Doomers versus Boomers. Another one is like accelerators versus D cells, right? And like uh, not to read too much in names, but uh, y Combinator was like the the biggest and most prestigious startup accelerator uh in Silicon Valley right for many years and probably still is um and so this is someone whose brain thinks about how do you take an idea um or some kind of nascent technology and scale the heck out of it um and so and so you could only imagine you know previously i think Sam was probably riding along just fine with kind of like, oh, this is a research lab. He had his hands on a lot of pods. He was doing different things. But once ChatGPT hit, and you had that enormous boost in cultural cachet for him and the kind of opportunity to put OpenAI sort of on a plane with a Google or a Microsoft or an Amazon, um, I imagine that was irresistible for him. And certainly, I mean, being with him in East Asia, you know, he really did seem to thrill uh, to meeting with heads of states, to the sort of waves of adulation that he received everywhere he went. I mean, he's been on one, and uh, I think that uh, I think that once you get a taste of that, I mean, even you know, no disrespect to him, like I mean, it's, it's kind of a tempting situation for anyone, especially someone who has that kind of background, who's who you know thinks about actualization being scaling your startup.
0: This episode is brought to you by Canva. Here's a writing tip for work. Don't just write. Use Canva Docs. It has Write, a built-in AI text generator powered by OpenAI to help you create almost anything, from meeting agendas to job descriptions, marketing plans, proposals, and more. Canva is here to help you get it done. If you've used AI, for work, for writing, for coming up with bullet points for a podcast, a meeting, you know that AI works best when you're specific, when you tell AI exactly what you want and then tell it again and again, help me do this, help me talk like this kind of person. The more specific you can be, the more helpful you'll find it is. Generate your draft fast with Canva docs at canva.com designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plane. Just go to indeed.com slash plane right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I think we've adequately set the table for this weekend. Uh, Karen, why don't you grab the reins here? It's Friday afternoon. You hear that Sam Altman has been fired without warning. Uh, Without warning to Sam Altman, without warning to Microsoft, investors, employees of the company have no idea this is coming. You and Charlie start calling around, what do you learn about why Altman has been fired and what the sort of pre-existing dynamic within OpenAI has been that might have made his firing more plausible?
1: We still have no idea why Altman was fired. Like, let's be clear: no <laughs> one, no one knows why he was been fired. The board is not talking. Sources are not talking because they they have no idea. You know, like the, It's there's only th- four people that really know, which is the three members of the board and like Altman himself, maybe because they were the only ones in the room. Um,
0: but and just to name them, I'm sorry to jump in there, but I, just to name them, right? It's 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 the three non-employees of OpenAI: um, Adam DeAngelo the CEO of Quora, the question and answer site, uh, Tasha McCauley, an entrepreneur and Helen Toner, who's a professor at Georgetown, who's part of the more pro safety, uh, tribe of uh, the AI breakdown. The one person who joined them from OpenAI is Ilya Sutskiver, uh, the chief scientist. Uh, Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, also members of the board. It's a six-person board, but Sam obviously fired and Greg uh, left um, uh, hours after the firing. Sorry to jump in there, but just want to make sure that people have a sense of, of what the makeup of the board is. Keep going.
1: So, um, the thing that, like, Charlie and I were, th- were talking about is, I mean, you know, like, there are other, um, we're going to find out sort of the play by play of is he or isn't he going to be, like, going back to opening eye? What is the, whatever? But really, the more important context here is actually what happened in the lead up. Uh, within the company, that might help clean, help us glean some insight into what what on earth happened that might have come to a head suddenly with this very dramatic firing. Um, and as Charlie was saying, that like there was this this like kind of like cataclysmic shift that happened at OpenAI when ChatGPT became the success, the very unexpected success um, that it did, um, and it essentially started polarizing the extreme factions that already existed in the company, that have existed in the company since the beginning and have caused each wave of the drama that we've talked about. Um, but in this moment in time, it's sort of really amplified because A, OpenAI is extremely in the public eye now. So when the OpenAI Anthropic split happened, like no one really knew who they were, no one really cared, and they hadn't really um, developed products that were so consequential to businesses, to consumers, to heads of state in terms of trying to understand the future um, of of their country, their workforce, and things like that. Um, And so... I think when ChatGPT became such a success, each of the camps within OpenAI instantly became way more hyped up about trying to set the agenda for their vision. So like the product side um, of the company just became really, really amped up about let's continue building on this momentum. And then the safety side was got way more freaked out. And in part, I think there there was probably um, kind of like a cyclical feedback loop where um As more people outside of OpenAI also started becoming either really hyped up or freaked out, that, like, that also reflected within, like, the company where these people felt like they had to speak up for the rest of humanity and kind of, like, dictating which direction the technology should go. Um, And so... That trickled all the way to the top. Like Altman and Brockman, they very much are of the Silicon Valley techno optimist mindset. They both uh, uh, sort of, have, as we already mentioned, as Ross already mentioned, Altman was leading the most uh, famous accelerator in Silicon Valley. Brockman um, was at Stripe, which was, um, a YC-funded a, a YC uh, company and had d- done his entire career at Stripe before opening AI. So they're both very, like, startup, YC, investor-minded people. And then you have Ilya, who um, is a research scientist, had sort of been steeped in the academic world for a really long time before doing, like, a brief stint at Google. Um, and then he becomes sort of really allied with the safety side the more that he feels comfortable confident that AGI is going to arrive soon. And um, like the people, the sources that we talked to sort of talked about how like he started becoming almost a spiritual leader with like really focusing people on remember the mission, feel the AGI. Like we need to shepherd this like generational technology forward in like with the utmost kind of morality. Um, And so that clash really kind of came to a head. And and what we're seeing is kind of the the symptom of the underlying power struggle that was happening, where each of these factions were really trying to um, go in just like completely opposite directions. Charlie,
0: you and Karen have said that it's the safety side of the company that's been bristling at the reality that ChatGPT has started to eclipse the original purpose. Of OpenAI. I wonder, do you guys have a sense of how big that safety side is, especially aside from these three members of the board who voted to fire Sam Altman? Because there's other pieces of evidence that I've seen that suggest that the vast majority of OpenAI employees want Sam Altman to stay and are furious at the board for firing him. So there's been an open letter that's been signed by. Reportedly, hundreds of employees demanding that Sam Altman stay and that the board essentially eject itself uh, from the company. Um, The Verge reported today, quote, there has been a nonstop power struggle inside OpenAI since Friday with nearly all employees against the now three person board that opposes Altman. Employees at the company San Francisco headquarters refused to attend an emergency all-hands scheduled on Sunday with the new CEO, according to a person familiar with the matter, and added they responded to the announcement of OpenAI Slack with a fuck you emoji, end quote. So I guess my question is, um, there's no que- I have no doubt that this safety contingent exists and that it is clearly powerfully represented on the board, um, but do you have any sense of how big it is relative to the overall size of OpenAI right now?
3: So, with the with the caveat that you know we, it, the reporting is is trickling out pretty slowly, and that there's you know there's a a huge subset of this company that's sitting and waiting you know for their fate to be decided as to like whether they work at OpenAI or whether they're going to be employees of Microsoft. It, I, I want to say that you know it's not like we have some sort of god view inside there, but anecdotally, I think that this the size of this has changed over the weekend. I think there are people who were maybe more in the camp of being safety minded or split, right? Or you know, wanted really enjoyed the the fact that they worked for a company that was, you know, a a capped profit entity that had a nonprofit board sitting on top of it, right? Sort of the best of of both worlds there. But I think what happened over the course of the weekend and you know, what reportedly Sam is doing, you know, behind closed doors, kind of, you know, rallying uh, Satya, Microsoft CTO, you know, to the cause, sort of getting a lot of the tech industry behind him, getting a lot of OpenAI's employees behind him. I think what it showed is what Sam's value was to OpenAI, which is that he's a deal maker. He's a money guy, right? He helps get secure that investment he he got microsoft to commit 10 billion dollars and not get a board seat i mean that's like some baller stuff right from that deal making you know perspective and so i think that there was this this understanding maybe he hadn't convinced you know everyone in the company that that his idea of we need to raise money make money in order to build the safe you know perfect technological product at the at the end, he might not have convinced everyone, but I think it was a lot more convincing towards the end of the weekend when you look at, you know, Microsoft using its leverage and saying, well, we haven't given, you know, you guys most of the $10 billion investment. It hasn't been wired to you all. So, you know, maybe we pull that, right? This idea of, you know, what is OpenAI AI? without the, you know, the war chest, without any of the money? Can, can they do what they want to do? And I think it started to look more and more over the course of the weekend that, you know, the safe, the people who were so principled towards alignment and safety, that they were willing to completely upend the company, that maybe that was actually really short-sighted. Sure, the, the principle is great. And, and so, I mean, I think when you see you can see right now at least from what is being reported right that 700 out of 770 signed this letter asking the board to resign it's a, it's a pretty small faction but anecdotally the reporting that some of the reporting that, that we did shows that it was an extremely vocal group right like i think one thing that has to be um understood about some of the AI safety crowd, not just at open AI, but, you know, in throughout this industry, and especially in San Francisco, is that there is like a quasi religious fervor to it. There is a belief that this is a civilizational, you know, it's not for some people, it's not just a power struggle. For some people, it is, it is truly like life and death. And I I think that that adds sort of like a weirdness to all this, right? It's sort of like a a funhouse mirror that it's it's really hard to speak about this always, you know, fully rationally. But I do think over the weekend, Sam may have proved, you know, proved his value to certain people who, who may not even have been
0: on board on Friday morning. That's a really interesting way to think about it, that like two things can be true. Number one, that the AI safety group within OpenAI is real and it's very vocal and at least as it is represented on the board, is very influential. And also number two, as it regards the employees of the firm, there's been a little bit of a hurting effect around Sam Altman in the last 72 hours, as people have sort of come to realize, wait, do we really want to blow up this company? Do we really want Sam Altman gone? No, you begin to, maybe there's a little bit of peer pressure, like you gotta sign this letter, everyone else around me is. There's, you know, there's fuck you's that are being like sent to the new CEO of the company and people are like, you know, upvoting it on Slack. like. With within remote companies I can see, or within any kind of company, I can see how a bit of a hurting effect can come into play such that uh, the mo the the mo the momentum around Sam is really building. Um Ross, we have to talk a little bit about this guy, Ilya Sutskever. Um, he's the chief scientist at OpenAI. He's one of the founders of OpenAI. This guy, just to summarize his last um, four days: Number one, on Friday, he led the board decision to fire Sam Altman. Uh, on Sunday, he refused to hire Sam Altman back to the company, and then today, he signed a letter demanding that Sam Altman rejoin the company and demanding that all of the board members that voted with him to fire Sam Altman be fired from their jobs. Um, number one. Uh, everyone on the call, do I have that summary accurate? And number two, I th- hopefully I've drummed up enough enthusiasm around listeners to understand who the F is this guy. Russ, you spent time with him. Who the F is this guy?
2: Yeah. And I, first, I just want to add on to something that Charlie said, which is that, uh, or it really, uh, first, I want to just add to Charlie's narrative that in addition to Sam sort of showing his stuff over the weekend, I think that's such an excellent point um, that employees looking around for leadership. Uh, suddenly realize like, oh, wow, yeah, if you need tens of billions of dollars, you know, to run your business and stay at the top of this field, this is probably your guy. It's also, and this hooks into your question, Derek, like the other faction really has not covered themselves in glory throughout this whole sequence, right? Like um, you can imagine being like anonymous, uh, open AI employee on Friday. This announcement comes out, you know, Sam, from your perspective has had, you know, The company has been doing well. Good business performance. But you, you want to take it with an open mind, right? You're like, okay, well, maybe he did something truly atrocious. No details are forthcoming still 72 hours later, except a kind of string of denials that it's anything bad. No, it's not a personal scandal. No, actually, there was no malfeasance. You know, um, no, actually, he didn't really lie about anything material, it seems like. No, there's not even a dispute about safety, I think, in one of the recent statements. So I think at that point, you're like, well, why are you blowing up this cool thing that I've been involved with that my grandparents and, you know, all my high school classmates are texting me constantly. Wow, you work at OpenAI. That's so cool. They're so neat. I use chat GPT. You know, you're blowing up our whole future. And for what? And like, you know, can you give us even a paragraph length statement? Um, and not that I had any foresight on this at all, but I did have, you know, friends texting me on Friday, asking me the very question you just asked about who is Ilya Sutskever, And what I told them was, I really liked Ilya. Uh, Karen, I'd be curious to get your impressions. Um, I happen to be sort of, I'm kind of drawn to my great discredit to like the mystic philosopher. Um, and Ilya's like a really charming kind of like deep thinker, you know, uh, he makes sort of like gnomic pronouncements, you know, when talking about AI in ways that I found sort of charming and intriguing. And and he's also like sneakily funny. So I, I really enjoyed um, my time talking with him. However, this guy's not Napoleon. <laughs> like what I said to people on text messages is like this is not this is not the guy who's gonna lead a coup. Um, he doesn't have that kind of executive leadership like rally around me. Um uh, sort of effect unless i thought the only exception to that was if he had really as was speculated and looks like didn't happen but if he had really seen something in the lab that could be explained in 30 seconds and sounded really really dangerous to almost any layperson, then i think there might have been a rallying effect around him but um uh as it is with a personality that's kind of pretty mild and nerdy, um, and interior, uh, it seemed to me that you could, you could see already that this might, this coup might be destined to fail. Uh,
0: Karen, quickly to you, before we talk a little bit about Microsoft and some big picture takeaways, is there anything that you have seen in your conversations with Ilya that can shed any light into what's happening and why he might have tried at least to lead this kind of coup. And coup is a weird word for it because in a typical coup, it's the underlings who throw out the king. But in this case, actually, the board of directors is above Sam Altman and have all the power in the world to fire him. This is not the French Revolution. Um, it's it's the opposite. Uh, but it, anything in, in your dealings with and conversations with Ilya that can lend any kind of light to what's happened in the last few days. So
1: I think one thing to just say before we dive into that is we don't actually know if Ilya led this like. We, it is it seems to be the case through like lots of reporting that but that i mean like he was the one that delivered the news to sam saying that he was fired he was the one that told greg that he was going to be demoted but we don't know if he was you know the leader or the messenger it's still like a little bit unclear and and also i would say that it's a little bit unclear how much employees within the company were fully involved in this like it seems like everyone was roundly shocked that it happened so There are still kind of like a lot of missing puzzle pieces to precisely what Ilya's role was in all this. But I would say like on the assumption that he did play like a central role and was like a major leader in kind of initiating this thing that Ilya is, he is, he's kind of like a wild scientist, like very brainiac type. um, is not the best at people. Like he's, he's like charming in the sense that people respect him a lot. As so, he he was one of the co-authors of the paper that kicked off the deep learning revolution when he was a PhD student. So th- he has a lot of cachet within the AI world as like one of the frontier people that, like, kind of saw the light and made this whole technology happen. Um, but he's not, like, the greatest at people. Like, he's a little bit awkward. He says things that are that can sometimes be, like, hilarious to people and off-putting to others. Um, he, like, he used to, in grad school—this um, is from Cade Metz's book, uh, Genius Makers. He used to, in grad school, like— whenever he got, like, really excited about a research idea, start doing, like, one-handed uh, handstand push-ups, like, <laughs> and he would say um, at a time when people did not believe that, like, deep learning, or there was, like, a lot of, like, controversy around, like, whether deep learning would be, like, the the paradigm for AI, whether it was the last paradigm, whether, you know, whether it had flaws, whatever, he would say the, he, these, like, very dramatic pronouncements, like, deep learning will solve everything, like, never bet against deep Learning, like he's always had this like religious fervor against uh, with everything. So I I do actually feel like it does make a lot of sense that he would kind of with this religious fervor be like we need to fix this. Like there's a problem and we need to fix it. And this is the solution. And then suddenly, as everything falls apart around him again, he's not the greatest at people. So I don't know that he would have anticipated like the human factor to to like an action like this. That he would then be like. Oh no, this was a mistake. Like this was this is bad. Like I need to like I need to and the thing is like he will very dramatically switch his position if he feels that um you know that what he did was an error. So it it does make sense to me and it does align that he would suddenly then be like, actually I didn't mean any of that. <laughs> it's funny
0: because like Strong convictions weekly held is a perfectly nice idea for like an engineer or like a lead scientist for a company. It's a really fucking bad idea for like the chair of the board of directors <laughs> when deciding to fire the CEO of a company that's worth $86 billion. You know, like strong convictions so weakly held that I might in 72 hours, decide that I no longer want to fire the person that I have already fired. Like I, it, it goes again, this is why I wanted to make sure that we started with a bit of the history. It goes to this schism in the identity of open AI. On the one hand, you have Ilya, who's this mad scientist, spiritualistic brainiac, who is no business running a team of 770 people that has to raise billions and billions of dollars for computational power and treasure, incredibly instrumental for the success of open AI, but shouldn't be running it leading the effort to fire Sam Altman, who is the kind of person that you would want to run an institution that has to raise money and hire brilliant engineers. Um, Charlie, I have uh, just some thoughts that I want to throw at you, and then maybe you can throw some thoughts right back at me. Like, I guess I want to bracket one am about to say with the fact that we don't know what the future looks like, and we really don't know what the future of AI looks like, and it's possible that in the fullness of time The board's decision to fire Sam Altman and slow down the development of AGI will look like one of the most brilliant ideas in human history, if AGI turns out to be as dangerous as some people fear. That said, I mean, is there anything else to say about this except that it is a shambolic performance? And like, an ironically, shambolic performance, especially since in the founding charter of OpenAI, there's all this talk about the importance of research transparency when inventing what they believe to be the most important technology in the history of the world. This process has been done in the least transparent way possible. I mean, at this point, it is comical how non-transparent the board of directors has been in terms of firing their CEO. Um, I mean, is there any way around the idea, the conclusion that this board of directors is, I guess to use a turn of phrase that's popular in AI speech, like catastrophically unaligned with the actual company that they're overseeing. So before even getting to that,
3: there's another bit of irony that I've been thinking about for like the past, I don't know, 24 hours, or basically ever since, I don't know how long it's been since Sam Altman said he was gonna join. Uh, Microsoft, maybe it's been 20 minutes, who knows? Uh, Times a flat circle. But what is incredibly ironic to me is we've gone through the history just now of OpenAI, and its founding and sort of core to this, right, is this idea that it is going to be protected. The, the whole point of this was to draw talent away from some of these bigger for profit tech companies and also to, you know, to safely develop something in a nonprofit way. And with some of the company like Google being, you know, almost the the opposing force in 2015. By making this principled safety decision to Fire Sam. Effectively, as of right now, when we're talking, what has happened is it has driven Sam and the president of OpenAI into the arms of Microsoft, one of the largest companies, and potentially a lot of OpenAI employees who might go there as well, right? Again, the, f- the future isn't, isn't you know, fixed right now on this. We don't know what's, how this is all going to shake out. But if that were to shake out, I mean, essentially what's happened is, you know, the destruction of a you know rising tech company, AI company that has this, you know, nonprofits, you know, research focus and driving it into the arms of 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 Microsoft. Um, it it's it's kind of wild. Like maybe that was completely unintentional, but you know, to not game that out in any way, to sort of take this very principled stand and not see that. You know, perhaps this is going to really piss off, you know, the money that is really going to piss off Microsoft, that is really going to piss off a lot of people in Silicon Valley, including maybe Sam, who decides I'm going to go to a competitor, right? Or I'm going to try to build my own company. And then, you know, from a safety perspective, if you're extremely worried about safety... Do you want to launch a competitor that is no longer governed by a charter that says we're trying to better humanity but instead may just be a for-profit company? It's pretty wild, right? Um, and then from the from the standpoint of of transparency, you know, I think uh, when we were writing our piece, I think, you know, Karen really summed it up best, which is that you know this really just shows that this is this is happening behind closed doors, right? the future of this of this technology like what we're watching is a power is this power struggle between a very small group of people most of whom are already obscenely wealthy or you know occupy these positions of 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 immense power whether at this tech company or somewhere else uh, and also have access to a you know a a set of skills that you know most of the world doesn't even know how to evaluate and they're the ones who get to decide right And we all sit here and watch. We spent the last whatever, you know, 36, 48, 72 hours wondering, like, what the hell the future is of this company. And we, it, that's very indicative of, of, of what, you know, the larger situation here is. We're all just sitting around waiting for them to make this technology, deploy it, tell us what's going on, which jobs are going to be lost, you know, which jobs we're going to gain. And there's not much we can really do about it.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. There's been a million jokes been made about how this is the, the second consecutive November in which the most famous young guy in startup tech who happens to be named Sam has been caught up in a scandal that mostly played out on the platform formerly known as Twitter. The other echo of history there is that, you know, I have a lot of contacts in the effective altrui- altruism movement and just as the implosion of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried just put a cannonball in the idea of earn to give—that is, earn as much money and then give it away in order to better causes like you know malaria and climate change. Um, because it turned out that when that idea, which might have made sense in principle, made contact with Earth, it led to someone being incredibly unethical with money uh, and then creating a, a incredible wealth that actually dissipates because the government takes it away. Um, in the same way, the principle of AI safety has to ultimately exist within institutions. You need institutions in order to put forward ideas. And I know lots of people who know a lot more about this subject than I do, But I have to feel like if they are deep believers in the idea of AI safety, they have to be looking at this, just as you said, Charlie, with like a bit of horror. We've created a scenario in which we've maybe pushed Sam Altman into the hands of the second largest corporation on Earth when our initial strategy was to keep this technology out of the largest corporations on Earth. The idea of uh, ethical AI, at least in this case, in this narrow case, has failed to make contact with reality. Karen, one question for you and then one question for Ross to to close us out. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Microsoft um, because I got some texts from friends uh, in the tech industry who were like, I can't believe that Satya Nadella pulled this off. This is the most successful acqui-hire in history. He's going to get all of the treasure and talent from OpenAI for free. They're just going to walk down the street or I guess, I don't know, take a flight to Washington State and work for him because they were kicked out of the company. This is crazy. What do you make of this situation? Like, could this have worked out any better for Satya Nadella and Microsoft?
1: Yeah, we really need to talk more about how Satya is the hidden king of this whole, <laughs> of this whole saga. Um, I mean, I think like from people that I've spoken to that have worked with um, Satya, Satya Nadella, like he is a he is a strategist, he's a pragmatist, um, and has certainly. Um, even when he did the first investment into OpenAI, it was sort of um, like, it was a very strategic decision because Microsoft already had an AI research lab for a long, long time called MSR that um, had been doing some really great research um, that had been very transformative to the industry, to their ability to commercialize um, AI technologies. Um, And it was sort of like a, a, kind of like, why not both? Like, why not have MSR? Why not make this bet? And just see like have this basically investor mindset, like game out, like which one's going to be the 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 winning hand in the future, um, and so it doesn't surprise me at all that he's kind of orchestrated perfectly this new upper hand out of this situation. Um, and it, what's I think what's really interesting is what's going to happen in terms of if. Altman and Brockman decide to stay. How Nadella is going to convince them to stay in the long term because these are two startup guys that have never worked for a tech giant in their life. I don't think they're compatible at all with tech giant culture. And if Nadella is somehow able to continue orchestrating some way to protect them from the kind of tech giant nature of Microsoft and have this like side lab that allows them to perfectly replicate OpenAI, that will be like the true masterful. Kind of success for Nadella, um, but at the moment I'm I'm just I'm not sure like he's been able to pull this off and and somehow say the right words to convince Brockman and Altman to give it a spin. Um, I mean, assuming if if they don't suddenly return back to OpenAI, um, but that's kind of yeah. I, I think Nadella has always been strategic from the beginning, and this will be like a huge coup for Microsoft if they can successfully get them to stay in the long run to run this thing.
0: Ross, I wonder how much you blame Sam Altman for this mess. Like, I saw someone call this corporate structure a turducken, not a turkey, or not a duck and a turkey, but a for profit company and a nonprofit shell. If it is, it, Sam Altman made this turducken. It, it was his idea to organize the company like this, it was his idea to create the for profit subsidiary. He's in charge and he oversaw the Frankenstein monster that has currently destroyed his career with OpenAI. To what extent do you, you know, given your time with him and your respect for his history of corporate successes, hold him a little bit accountable for allowing this situation to happen?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you do the global victory lap, you know, you also gotta do the, like, the global dunce cap or whatever. I feel like, you know, um, to abstract it slightly away from Sam, uh, having taken that shot at him, um, I will say that I think that this is an interesting moment because both from the investor side and the founder side, if you're a founder, and, and let's just like you know stipulate for a second that these are really earnest people who did think that this technology would be really transformative and thought that it shouldn't happen in a in a for-profit context. Um, even taking them at their word, we now see what a spectacular failure that was. Also, if you're an investor, and by investor, I mean someone like Microsoft or anyone with deep enough pockets to bankroll the kind of compute that OpenAI is needed to, to sink $10 billion into a company or 13 whatever it is. Um, Going forward, you imagine that you know at the very least your general counsel is going to want to take a hard look at this creative um, corporate structure of this company that uh, you're so hot to invest in. Um, but ultimately, you know, to talk about AI risk for a second and not get into fanatical doomer scenarios necessarily, but just again to you know, I think all of us on this call <clears throat> have some concerns about the future of this technology. Well, we've had a, a period of time where the founder of the most prominent company in this space has been telling us, "Hey, don't worry, we got this." In fact, you know, we set up our company in this really clever way to make sure that nothing could bad could happen. That strategy has now failed. Um, the tech giants have it, as you say, and so. Really, to me, the big takeaway is the only way to meaningfully restrain this kind of technological development, if that's what we want to do, is through the law, is through government and policy, um, and <clears throat> perhaps even internationally. Uh, because we've we've let the private sector play their games with for-profit and nonprofit profit structures, and they haven't worked.
0: Yeah. The last thing I'll say is... Um... Uh, my best friend Drew, who makes occasional invisible appearances on this show, uh, basically said exactly what you just said, Ross. He said, this is a great example of how corporate structure innovation does not work. We've tried for hundreds of years to invent a better way to structure corporations and have boards of directors that are responsible to shareholders. It's really, really hard to get it to work for a long period of time for companies that are trying to do complex things like build these kinds of products. What you want is boards of directors that respond to shareholders and try their best to do good within a legal structure that regulates these companies based on democratic will. That is the general structure that seems to work. And when you try to innovate within it sometimes, uh, well, you get the results of the last 100 hours. Ross, Karen, Charlie, thank you all very, very much. Thanks, Jared. Thank
1: you.